This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm getting the feeling that momentum's really starting to build this season. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where as a special treat, and because of an inconveniently placed cup tie, we're recording from behind the scenes at the Etihad in what's surely the most hot-off-the-press edition of the show. We're casting an eye over the 1-0 win against Spurs and digging into the effects of the torn-up pitch and reviewing the Carabao Cup match with Fulham, which finished for us just moments ago. With a visit of Mark Hughes this weekend, we're looking at how City do at Eastland when former managers return, and we'll look ahead to those games with Southampton and Shakhtar as well. Pep Guardiola's side could qualify for the knockout phase of the Champions League so soon. Howard Hawkins asking if we've become too blasé about City's brilliance and has been digging through the stats to find out more. And we've got your questions in Ask the Panel as well. I'm your host for this week, David Mooney. I'm joined by City fan and blogger Richard Burns. Hello, David. And as a special treat, we're going to be rotating our third guest this week, starting off with ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Oh, I thought it was special. I'm just on rotation on my own. Yeah, well, we're going to be nipping in and out at the stadium all evening, so you're first up and we'll catch up with some other friends later on in the show are you I, doing? I, yeah, I need a bit of a rest because Carabao Cup you can give me a bit <laughs> just a few minutes from me will do I'm just conscious that you've got work to do that's oh, all yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah, we're just um, waiting, on, waiting on Pep any minute we now. are yeah so I mean first off um, we're talking, talking Spurs um, job done I suppose yeah it was I thought it was a question of survival actually um, having seen those sort of early minutes at, the, at Wembley I just thought the pitch was absolutely outrageous I thought it was it was a poor game I know that we say in the We've seen pitches like that in the past, but I just think football's moved on, and, and the standard of players we have now—they just—they're they, they, so used to performing on perfect pitches. It was—it was just really poor, and it just created a really dismal game for what should be, you know, a fantastic t- team like City. Spurs, um, I really like Spurs. I think they're a fantastic side as well. It sh- and it two, should have been a good game. It should. It was also up two top six team, you know, top six teams. Two entertaining teams. It should have been an absolutely fantastic game, and it was just absolutely ruined by the pitch. And it, it was a real shame. And I think Spurs should take all the blame for it. I think they should be really embarrassed and, and ashamed of of what happened. Richard, when you when you look at that, how how did you feel when Mahrez opened the scoring so early on? Did you think? I mean, even though the pitch was as it was, do you think you know they might get a few more than just the one? Yeah, I mean, you score in what was it the sixth minute? Then yeah, of course, the way City play, um, and you you sort of naturally inclined to start thinking back to when they sort of uh, took Spurs apart at Wembley last season. You start thinking on that again, and of course, you do begin to expect more than one goal. Um, but certainly, you, you score this. City team the way they're defending at the moment score early and you do start to feel pretty confident that I wouldn't quite say the points are in the bag six minutes in but you start to feel confident that it's going to go City's way um, and it was a good goal wasn't it I mean I think Trippier will look back and probably be a little bit embarrassed at how weak he was against Sterling and then he gets it wrong again when he goes for the tackle but it was a good City goal um, and so yeah it did. Only, the only surprise was that they didn't open them up a little bit more in the end now, when I mean, let's talk a bit about the defence as well, John, because um, City just don't seem to concede shots on, on goal anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? That um, you know, Edison was called on on a couple of occasions, but he doesn't really make saves. Um, I mean, the thing was that, that it's like he doesn't need to. Well, no, but, but he was so aware of that chance for Kane in the first half. He he rushed through on goal. Um, his position was perfect. A slight over touch from from Kane. Ball ran away from him. Um, again, I think I was down to the pitch, but Edison was was there, and it's. Oh, I mean, it is a save of sorts, but it's not the sort. It's not a. It's not a shot stop, is it? It's. It's just. It's still good goalkeeping, and. Um, but in front of him, I mean, it wasn't. Perhaps the best performance from Laporte and Stones, but he was still very, very strong. Still gave very little away, and there was that, obviously that one chance at the end, um, for Lamella. But. Yeah, they just. Stopping sides from creating chances, and that's you know, that's you don't need the world's best goalkeeper in terms of saving shots if that's the way you're going to play, and it's just working perfectly for City. It's just the irony irony with that Lamella chance as well was it was the pitch after all that, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pep said that I think that was his way of sort of having a go at the pitch without having a go at the pitch by saying it saved us. Um, yeah, it's everything's fitting into his philosophy, he's got the players that he thinks. are going to work out and, it, and it's proving that way Richard I, I mean as good as Laporte and Stones were I have to ask you about Walker and Mendy because they uh, I, I saw a couple of tweets that, that suggested they might have been drunk 
Um, yeah, I mean, they, they didn't have the best days, did they? I think Walker, I'd, I'd be half inclined to say, was he trying a little bit too hard to impress against a former club? But then, it, it, from what I remember, he didn't have the same problems last season. I, I might be misremembering, but City were very good against Tottenham twice last year. And I think Walker, Walker, he, he certainly didn't have bad games against them. So, um, with Walker, though, you know that it's a one-off. Uh, defend, I mean, defensively, he's been pretty sound for City. Obviously, where he really catches the attention is up the other end of the pitch and his pace. But defensively, he's pretty sound, so it was an off game. But Mendy, I mean, I, I, you can't really pull any punches with it. I thought Mendy was absolutely atrocious from pretty much minute one to minute 90. Um, everything seemed to go wrong for him. He was, touches going under his foot and out of play. Defensive positioning was atrocious. Um, he wasn't recovering his position once he'd, once he'd got himself out of shape. Um, and he's not yet in a position defensively where we can write it off as a one-off game. We know what he offers going forward. We know that his delivery is outstanding. We, we know that he's fast. We know he's powerful. All those things that everybody's, uh, everybody says about him sort of week in, week out. But we're not yet seeing whether he's a brilliant left-back. And maybe the toughest game he's played yet this season um, because Spurs did have plenty of chances to attack and yes City defended resolutely but Mendy he didn't give a good account of himself on, on the day unfortunately but I mean hopefully it will just be a one-off. John how much of a of a statement have City laid down with I mean you, you look they've gone away to Arsenal they've gone away to Spurs they've you, they, they played Chelsea in the uh, Community Shield they've, they've gone to Anfield and they haven't let in a goal. Yeah it's a hell of a statement isn't it um, you, know, you look at the fixtures and you think they've only really got a couple of tough away games to come at Old Trafford and um, Chelsea yeah um, and you know, I, I don't know how, how fearful City will be of going to Old Trafford you know, Stamford Bridge is obviously a bit of a different but you just think you know it's, it's ridiculous that we keep bringing up the idea of um, an invincible season you know 10 games in but it's around this time that people start start thinking about you know the questions start asking. You look at the asking, tough games they played. Yeah. Well, that, that's it, and you think you, know, you look at it and think, well, possibly Chelsea is the only one you can see. I'm, they're not. Gonna, I'm sure they're not going to go unbeaten. It'll be but full you, of away near the end of the season. <laughs> like that, but just just as it was, you know, you look, really there's only one game they should have lost last season. Um, that was Anfield. They've been to Anfield and. Should have, should have, should have won. Should have won, and is it? You know, it's 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 a hell of a start. Defense looks almost impregnable at times. So, it's a yeah, it's it's a big statement. You heard it first from Jonathan Smith on the Blooming Podcast. City Invincibles 2018-19. Good call, Jonathan. <laughs> it's, I'm just saying it's 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 one of those things people will start talking about now. I think because they... you're the trailblazer for the conversation. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to ask as well. Um, we talked briefly about Mares earlier on. Um, how much of a difficult game would that have been for him to play in, given the circumstances of the weekend? Yeah, he seemed. Well, we've seen the Leicester players are all hugely affected by it, and Mares was obviously a key player in that incredible season at Leicester, which is it's still ridiculous that they won the title and he was the player of the season. And they were obviously a bit of a, a close knit group. Um, and they all obviously knew the, the uh, owner very closely. So, you know, I think we saw with David Silva last season when he was going through tough times that sometimes just getting out on the pitch and forgetting about everything for 90 minutes is, is what you need to do. And, uh, and it would have been even more pleasing for him, I'm sure, to get the goal and, and, and to dedicate it to, uh, to the owner. So, yeah, it won't have been easy, but I think it will have been a bit of a relief, yeah. Just looking at City's big games, Richard, are you surprised that Sane hasn't been involved more often and it's that it's been Sterling and Mahrez have been the wide players? See, I find questions like this really tough to answer because on on the question, I'm surprised that Sane's not starting. You look at his quality and the only answer you can really give is yes. But then if you ask me, is it a surprise to me that Sterling and Mahrez are starting? Well, then, no, it's not because they are excellent footballers. Mahrez, I think, is week by week now really coming into his own in this team. And we're seeing more of... It's a bit of a sort of trite thing to say because it's, it's unquantifiable, really. But he's, I think he's stamping a bit more of his character on this team and we're seeing what he's about. Um, and Sterling, I mean, we, we rave about him week in, week out now. So 
Yes, you would think that, you know, allowing for rotation, that Sané would be getting more of the big games. But it's it's not a huge surprise that Mahrez and Sterling are getting the nod. I'm sure Sané will start to get more of a nod as the season goes on in, in those big games. Well, I think Pep Guardiola is about to uh, do his post-match press conference for the Fulham game. So, uh, John, thank you very much for, for joining us for the first part. Um, yeah. We'll let you crack on with some work and uh, we'll go and hear what Pep's got to say. Everybody was good. Um, Brian made two goals. And it's always so important, and I don't make a good, a good. Uh, okay, we didn't concede too many chances, but he gave us, you know, uh, good security, a good, uh, you know, when when the ball was there and feels already, you know, every by every time he plays, plays a good level. So, but I think I would not say just one in particular. So I think we made again when an excellent performance in terms of without the ball how aggressive we are because it's a team like they like to play in the short passes they have the quality to play and after the attack of course they are not in a good moment in terms of results and after that it's always tough for them but we will we play like the competition deserve and every game deserve and and with the ball we we were clever to find the spaces the right moment and we create enough chances clear clear chances to score more goals and so so satisfied, so happy for uh, for the victory and go to qualify the next you know, the next round. Are you concerned that Brahim will leave? He could sign for another club in January. You know, and we're not going to. So he he knows the desire that we want for all young players. Uh, they know how we want to protect them. We know how he tried to help him to understand in a particular way we want to play. For the young players, we're at the academy. We want him, but at the end, it not depend on us. It's the desire of them. So we insist. We want him, but agent and, and him, family decide. So no change of opinion now because he scored two goals or because was not selected any Premier League games. The opinion of us is so high. But in the top teams, like uh, you know. Like uh, here and compete like with Leroy, with uh, Rush, with uh, Riyad, with uh, Bernardo, with Sergio, with uh, with Gabriel. So it's not easy to find space. He knew it from the beginning, but he decided to stay. We are delighted to be with him, and we will do absolutely everything to keep him with us. But after that, he decides. It's simple. How impressed were you with Kevin's performance given the length of time he's been out for? And and given the way he played tonight, the influence he had on the game, how much of a blow would it be? Well, I, I think I think today Kevin is back. No, is uh, the Kevin we know, but sometimes was a lot of time injured. He made a huge effort in in Donuts against Shakhtar. Uh, he played a few minutes in the tough moment in, in against in, in, in against the Spurs in the difficult situation because the pitch and the conditions, the tough physicality. But today was again. Was involved in uh, offensive and defensive, in aggressivity and the pace, in the set pieces, in the passes, in assists. So, hopefully, what happened in the last minute is no, no serious. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. So we've just heard Pep Guardiola's press conference after the Fulham game. Uh, we've moved outside now. We're joined by Goal.com's Sam Lee. Good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Yes, yeah, alright. Thanks. Uh, it's pretty late in the day, and there's a press conference tomorrow, but. I suppose first world problems. <laughs> um, first off, then uh, headlines from the uh, the Fulham game. I think that the, the only what the only place to start really is uh, Brahim Diaz. What did you oh. what did you make of his performance? Uh, um, there's actually there's actually a thing. I, I don't know why I do this to myself and to everyone who listens, but there's some, some quote I saw from Chavi years ago. He was saying there's a difference. I might have even said it on the podcast already, but there's a difference between um, playing well and being decisive. And he goes, um, you can be decisive, you can score a great goal and everyone will watch it on the highlights and go, oh, he, that was really good, he might have done brilliantly. But then th- playing well is, you know, doing everything right and not giving the ball away and not doing stupid dribbles and, and this kind of thing. But, yeah, you can, you can cover it up by being decisive. And I'm not saying tonight that Brahim was poor or he did stupid things because I thought generally he was good and he held his position really well and if City had people who were better at switching the ball to his flank like Laporte for example he would have got more of the ball but with all that kind of said other than the two goals and the first one being a deflection didn't like didn't really light it up I thought for example I thought Foden had a better game in terms of being a bit more impressive on the ball doing a bit more with it 
obviously he was in the middle, but a bit more involved. So, yeah, I thought Brahim was good, but it was not like the, the two-goal performance that you kind of expect if you hadn't seen the game. Going, oh, that must have been a really good performance kind of thing. It was, yeah, he was good and he was solid, but, yeah, two goals kind of put a bigger shine on it, I suppose. Richard, we have to, I mean, we, I suppose we have to credit Jack Gorn uh, for this one because he tapped us on the shoulder halfway through the game and said, is this, is this Diaz's first home game? And, you know, in fairness, he, it was his first start at home. Um, two, two goals on your, on your home debut, you can't really ask for more than that, can you? No, well, I mean, that, that, that's the, almost the, the flip side, I suppose, of what Sam said, because I, I agree with everything Sam said, actually. But um, it is, I mean, it, when he looks back on it, it's the perfect game, isn't it? It's, it's the perfect first home start. Um, it is the only goal scorer, so he's completely decisive. Um, slightly fortunate with the first one being a deflection, but actually, when you look at it back, when you look back at it and see how quick he was to react um, in the sort of the, the havoc of a, a box trying to defend um, a, a loose ball, and Diaz runs from just outside the 18-yard box to be first to it, so he deserves the break that he gets. It's actually, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for being in the right position to, to do something yeah. like that. Jesus and, it, and Sane didn't manage it tonight, did they? Exactly, yeah. So that, that kind of reading of the game is, um, that says a lot about him, I think. Um, so no, I mean, he, he couldn't really ask for much more. It, it was a, a solid performance, and two good goals, so... The other headline um, was Kevin De Bruyne went off uh, towards the end with a. Well, we don't know the extent of the injury, but he um, he, he, he seemed to look quite downhearted at uh, when he left the pitch. Yes, yeah, I mean it is always difficult to know, and also now it's you never you never want to overcommit yourself to saying oh it doesn't look this or it doesn't look that because uh, Gundogan and Mendy walked off the pitch when they had their you know, nine month injury layoffs. Last, last, last season De Bruyne was stretched off and played two days later yeah so exactly it, so you can't read too much into any of that um, the one thing I would say is it was his left knee tonight but the knee he did earlier in the season with his right so it's not like you know something's gone wrong in that same knee so there's that but I mean, that said he could have he could have knackered up his left he could there could still be something wrong with that but we just don't know again when he went off he spoke to Guardiola and he like, bashed his hands together to say it was a knock or something like that like but again, impact, he, yeah, yeah but you can have painful knocks and it, it might mean for argument's sake he, he might miss the Southampton game they might rest him against Shakhtar and try and get him back from the derby it could be worse um, we just don't know Guardiola says there'll be tests he didn't say a lot after the game but as I say there is a press conference on Friday they would have done tests tonight they may well do it tomorrow, depending on what time the training is. Um, and we, we may well get an update on, on on Friday afternoon. Richard, let's just talk about De Bruyne's impact anyway, because um, he, the question in the press conference after the game was, was he looked before the injury, looked back to his best. Yeah, I thought it was quite odd actually, because the uh, the lad, one of the people next to me tonight, I heard say in the opening minutes. De Bruyne is looking sluggish. And I thought, well, that's an odd comment to make literally about a minute into the game. You were a lot of shot in press boxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on podcasts, so don't worry about that. Well, yeah, we're as much part of that, aren't we? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I thought it was a really odd comment because I don't think he, he has looked particularly sluggish. I thought against when he came back against Shakhtar for his first start since his return, um, OK, it was about a 7 out of 10 for him, but City looked a whole yard quicker quicker in, in every action the counter attacks and, and all the attacks really um, and tonight yeah he was pinging balls about picking players out that, that vision that keeps the team going in you know I mean how many times do we see a, a game in this round of this cup against a with all due respect not a great team um, you know sort of mediocre at best and, and poor at Premier League level you see these games often turn into quite drab and dour affairs and it needs somebody like the, with the vision and um, you know the thinking of De Bruyne to keep it going. And I thought he was—he did that really well tonight. He, okay, again for him, maybe it wasn't an absolutely outstanding performance, but he was probably City's best player again. I was really, really impressed. So hopefully that injury is nothing too serious. And if it does keep him out of any games, hopefully it's only one or two because we can live with that. But um, it's just a joy to watch, isn't it? And it, it's great to have him back. Sam, you mentioned Sane and, and Jesus earlier on. Mm. Um, 
we'll come to Sane in a minute, but Jesus, he, he looks like nothing will fall for him at the minute. Yeah, that's how it looked tonight. Um, against Shakhtar, he looked like he was short of confidence. Again, just looking from, from the outside. Tonight, you couldn't really say that because he was trying so much stuff. There was one, fl- there was one flick he did in the first half where he, he took three men out of the game by yeah. turning on the edge of the box. He thought, oh, this is it, this is the moment, and it just wouldn't go in for him. Yeah, and even after that, he kind of had the, the extra confidence to carry on and like, dummy the cross and trying something different. And he was doing that all night, and he looked, there was a lot of sharp touches outside the box, mm. but yeah, again, inside wasn't quite there so it's a bit of a strange one at the moment but again how old is he still 21 well, I mean, so it's gonna I think I think it's just inevitably gonna happen these things will happen and like you said it just didn't quite go right for him tonight with hitting the post and the shot that I don't know the keep we've kind of deflected the keeper saved as well yeah it, it was it was a bit of a strange one but he in terms of doing the things right I think he still, you know, mostly did that because, like I say, outside the outside the box, he was creative and he looked sharp and he he was trying things which you maybe wouldn't expect of a player who didn't have any confidence. Well, if you want to know his look at the moment, you only have to look at City's second goal, don't you? He's yeah. good movement that he's on the end of, and you, you think back a year, he he almost certainly scores that when he was at that point where everything that he got on the end of in the box, um, and in fact the the criticism of him was that he scored too many goals in the box was all that anybody was able to produce. And tonight, keeper gets a t- I think the keeper got a touch on it um, onto the post. Yeah, then, yeah, hits the post and then falls perfectly for Diaz, who had all the, you know not not that he didn't deserve them, but sort of had the breaks tonight. Any other like any other game, that's Jesus's goal, and then it's that might then change his confidence and who knows he has a stormer against Southampton if he plays or he goes on one of these runs of three, four games in a row where he scores and yeah so it does I think he's a, an interesting point at the moment where people are going to question which is the real Jesus the Jesus that can't score for Toffee or the Jesus that scored in every game that he played in when he first started um, I like to think it's the latter and that this is just a bad run uh, but it is one that we could do with getting out of sooner rather than later because from a team point of view we need that cover for Aguero as well I know there's goals all in the team but you need a real striker too. And just final point on the uh, on the Fulham game, Leroy Sane, Sam, you, oh, me- yeah. you mentioned him before. Um, where's he at this season? Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really hard to, to know and you'd think tonight would be one of those where it's like, you know, you must think, well, obviously I'm playing this because, you know, Sterling and Myra is going to play at the weekend or they're, you know, they're the main fellas at the moment, they're in the best form and it'd be right if you did think that. And you, you would think he'd go and put the hammer down and put in a really good performance. And we saw all the, you know, the dribbles that are capable of taking out so many men and just how dangerous he can be. But, you know, he had a couple of chances at the far post that he just, I don't know, it, it was like, like not concentrating enough properly or just not, you know, just not keeping his head. And it, it's the kind of performance that makes you think maybe he, he, you know, he hasn't really learned the lesson from the start of the season in terms of, you know, he was left out for not having the right frame of mind for various different reasons. And, you know, he came back to the team against Fulham, I think it was in the Premier League, yeah. And he looked good, but there was a couple of instances at the end where he didn't track back. Tonight, there wasn't quite, you know, that absence of duty defending, but it was just in the, you know, he just wasn't very, again, using this word, but he wasn't very decisive. And, you know, you you can be decisive and play well at the same time, but that decisive edge kind of deserted him. And one of the, obviously, one of the things about him since so far at City, particularly last season, is he did score a lot of goals and he, he did make a difference. But yeah, tonight, just a bit rough around the edges, really. And I think that's probably, that's probably how I'd um, categorise the season so far, actually, rough around the edges. Right, so it's time to move on. Before we do, Richard, obviously it's uh, Southampton next for City. It's uh, Mark Hughes coming back to the Etihad. Um, we're going to look at, at former managers coming back. Um, there are three names. Uh, Mark Hughes is one of them. Do you know the other two, just off the top of your head? What, coming back this season? Well, no, come, that, that have come back to the Etihad in the past. Um, oh, God. Um, I'll tell you what, let's let John Chubb explain. Since moving to the Etihad Stadium, there have been three former Manchester City managers to come back in charge of the opposition. And the club's record against them is pretty damn good, but it didn't start that way. Harper, real chance for two, and he's taken it. And Reading will take the three points. A magnificent away day for Steve Cobble's side. Well, this is too easy, Gary. It's too easy. Look at that, they lose it on the halfway line. It's Harper just slides it down the side of Distan and Dunn, and he slides it in. What a magnificent finish, but it's too easy. 
That was in 2007. It was City's fourth season at their new home and it was one of the worst in living memory. Stuart Pearce led his side to just 10 goals at Eastlands, so it wasn't much of a surprise that Steve Koppel's Reading left with a 2-0 win that February. Koppel had been in charge of City for 33 days in the late 1990s, but when he returned the next season, City got their own back. Stephen Island's stoppage time stunner earned them a 2-1 win. Is there to be another late chance? There might be, you know! Oh, what a winner! He's done it again! It's Stephen Island! When all hope seemed lost, a wonderful strike from the young Irishman. 2-1 Manchester City place in the Premier League. Drama you wouldn't dare write in a script. It was Sven Joran Eriksson that was City manager for that victory and he'd be the next to return when he came back in 2011 with Leicester. He was in the away dressing room, a feeling he admitted was odd. Yeah, it's a little bit smaller than the home dressing room, but anyhow, it's good. It was very good to come back and a lot of good memories, and uh, but I shouldn't like to have gone there the second game of the FA Cup. I would have liked to beaten them at home here in Leicester because I think we had the chance, but we didn't take it. So anyhow, in two games they were the better team, and we lost. And now. Uh, they have really a chance to win the FA Cup, and I hope they will. Sven saw his team beaten 4-2, and City did go on to lift the FA Cup that season, ending their 35-year wait for a major trophy. And it was only a few weeks later that another former incumbent of the home dugout was back at Eastlands. Mark Hughes returned as Fulham boss, where he earned a one-all draw. It was the Welshman's next visit, though, that was a bit more memorable. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Hughes would return the following season with QPR, where City beat them 3-1. Coach David Platt was disappointed they made hard work of it. It can happen, it's human nature really, when the game's not easy to win the game, but easy to get to that final third. It's easy to have the ball in certain areas and the, the complacency sets in a little bit. You think that there's a goal going to come, but effectively uh, what should be a, you know, an, an easy win. Um, by the fact that, that you've created your chances becomes a very difficult game because you haven't you haven't finished them. Hughes was sacked at QPR soon after, though he would return to the Etihad once again the next year. In fact, he made five trips there as Stoke boss, leaving with four points across those meetings. It started with a 1-0 win for Manuel Pellegrini's City in February 2014, but Hughes would shock his old club on his next visit when his Stoke team won 1-0 in Manchester. Afterwards, Pellegrini was disappointed with the defending. This game sometimes happened during the year. Today was the day. We tried from everywhere, for the for ball wing, for the shooting centres, and we really we are not very, very creative. But for me, I think that I'm more worried about the, the, the goal that they scored because it's a... It's, it's too easy the way they, they, they score I, they, they score their goal. But the next season, City battered Hughes' Stoke side 4-0, despite rotating their team ahead of their Champions League semi-final with Real Madrid. The City boss was happy. Every big team must do it every year. If you think about talking about Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, they are always involved in Champions League till as far as they can. If not, if they are for different reasons, they are eliminated, as Barcelona happened this year. They are in the top of the table, so they are fighting for the league. I think that this team must think in the same way that it's very important to arrive to the stage, to the final stage of champions, but it's very important also to win the Premier League. And if you cannot win it every year, at least to be in the spot of Champions League for the next season. A nil-nil draw left City frustrated in Pep Guardiola's first season, but that all changed the following year. It finished 7-2 when it was a Kevin De Bruyne masterclass. Hughes thought the Belgian ran the show. You have a quality player, world-class player like Kevin De Bruyne who basically didn't like basically what he was seeing and uh, thought, right, I'm going to grab hold of this game by the scruff of the neck and, and take it away from Stoke City and that's what he did. Uh, quality of his balls in terms of 
Rates are all the time on his pitch. He, he was absolutely world class, and um, I would argue he's, he's the best player in the Premier League by, by a country mile. Meanwhile, Guardiola was delighted with his side's performance. We're happy for, for the victory, and especially again the way we played. We did it like we won, everybody involved. When we don't have the ball, everybody involved, when we have the ball. We, we don't lose easy balls, uh, we play simple, we play fast and simple because it's the best way to play fast and, and that's why, that's why I'm very pleased. The best you've seen since you've been here as Manchester City manager? Yeah, yeah, the best performance since I'm here, yeah. The way we want to play, the best one, yeah. So Sunday will be the ninth time Hughes has visited Eastland since he managed City and it'll be the fourth team he's led in that time as well. You'd imagine, though, that it'll be a tough task for him to add to his five points gained on his old patch since departing the Etihad in 2009. Hi, this is Nader Manuha, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. A look there at City's performance against their former managers at the Etihad. Now we're joined for the second part of the show by James Robson from the Evening Standard. Good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Are you well? Very well, yes. Looking forward to this. Um, we're going to start with um, the Southampton game coming up at the, uh, at the weekend. Um, I mean, you just can't look past a City win, can you? I can't look past a City win virtually every week. You know, <laughs> I think you, if you look at the calendar, you're trying to figure out where they might drop points. Well, well, they dropped them against Liverpool, didn't they? And you're kind of thinking, well, maybe the derby, who knows? But there really aren't many, are there? Let's be honest. And this isn't one of them. Richard, City, I mean, as much as, as this season has been great performances so far, it really feels like, they've kicking, like they're kicking into gear in these last few weeks. Yeah, 100%. Look at the, the 5-0 over Burnley was um, a particularly good performance. I thought it was just wave after wave of City attack and then to go to Shakhtar in the Champions League and completely take them apart to you, you didn't think or you didn't sense that Pep was being hyperbolic when he said that it was the best the first half was the best performance in his time here I think he was being uh, completely genuine about that and I'd probably agree um, City been fantastic they were they were good at Spurs in what I didn't think was a great game, but they showed another side of, of their quality in that the defence was absolutely outstanding. Um, they look very, very hard to score against at the moment. And when you when you add that to what we know is probably the best attack in the league, if not the best attack in the world, um, yeah, it, I mean, they do. They, they, they look like they've clicked into gear at a very similar time to where they did it last year. Um, and you've got to think that for any team coming up against them at the moment, that's a pretty ominous thing to be facing. And we're at that stage now where we're probably beating most teams before we even go on the pitch again. And James, you look at Southampton, you know, they can't score, they, they can't defend. It's not, you don't really want to come up against City when that's the problem, is it? Uh, well, you don't want to come up against them at any time, really, but certainly not with, uh, with their current form. Um, no, I, I think, like you say, the teams now, I think, are beaten before they, before they even play this City team. You know, like I said, you go into each week and you think, What's, you know, it's almost like, uh, what can we get away with this week, almost? You know, going into this season, I, I thought City wouldn't do as well as they did last season just because it was almost you know, so perfect. That couldn't happen again. And then you look at the start of this season, and they are doing it again, aren't they? They are doing it again, and they haven't clicked into gear yet. You know, I, I actually I felt like City would be a better team this season, but wouldn't record the sort of points that they did last season. But I'm now beginning to think, actually, you know what, I think they might. I think they might, because... They are, they're a better team than they were last year. And, you know, they didn't make many signings in the summer, but they actually improved because Mendy's now inside, isn't he? Uh, Phil Foden is, uh, is, is closer to that first team now. Riyad Mahrez has improved their options in attack. You know, they have improved despite not doing much business in the summer. When it comes to, to this game, I mean, Richard, we've, me and you, we've, we've seen the ins and outs of Mark Hughes' sides for, for, for quite a while. Um, is this a game where, where Guardiola might look to, to, to give a few players a few chances? Obviously, we had the Fulham game where he did that. But then, I mean, it, it, off the back of it, you've got a league game where he could rotate it a bit. Yeah, but I mean, I always find this a, a difficult question to answer these days because, you know, the City's options are so extensive they've got ability to rotate in all areas of the field now with the exception 
of the, the only position that they can't comfortably rotate in is Fernandinho's, but even then there are other ways to play. We can bring Gundogan in, he's not the same as Fernandinho, he's not as good as Fernandinho, but we have got quality options that would make up for Fernandinho not being there. So, yeah, I mean, different players can get a chance, but that's talking about a team that were able to leave Kevin De Bruyne out of a trip to Tottenham. So if Kevin De Bruyne starts, I know obviously he started against Fulham, but if he starts against Southampton, then that is rotated from the last league game, the last important game. So, yeah, different players will get a chance, but it's still going to be whatever it is. It's going to be better than Southampton's first choice 11, isn't it? So it's almost impossible and, and pretty pointless to try and predict City's first 11 for for any game these days other than the League Cup games where you can predict that Diaz and Foden will start and, and you know the keeper's going to change. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there will be a rotation is the short answer and it'll be a good opportunity against the, what should be a weak team to try and get some minutes into maybe the players that aren't playing quite as much. It's three home games in a row now which culminates in the derby. Um, it, it's City's chance to lay down a marker for the city. I mean, they've done it already with, with a few away games but it's a chance now to, to really build on the momentum they've gathered, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I I was looking. I was at the game on Monday night against against Spurs, and it was only midway through the game that I started looking at, at the stats. So, you know, that was a that was a third one of the four teams below them they played away from home, and they've still not been beaten. Not only have they not been beaten, they haven't seen the goal. You had Chelsea into that in the Community Shield; they not scored against them. So, although it's very tight at the top, I think you've got to look at the game City are ticking off and thinking, well, actually, there's a chance to really break away, and if not right now over this period with, the, with these home games in the second half of the season when those sides have got to come here and we know how hard it is for a team to come here and get anything you know and if it, you're chasing City down as well it's uh, well, I mean exactly well this is the problem isn't it you got other teams are playing and all oh, right yeah you know Liverpool are neck and neck with them at the moment but other teams are playing and it's it feels like um, they know they cannot drop any points they can't lose any ground you know Liverpool would have looked on Monday night and thought, that's a chance, that's a chance. Dreadful pitch against one of their main rivals. They, they might drop something there. They didn't, did they? And they weren't at the best and they didn't. They won again. And for me, I'm looking at the table and I, yeah, Liverpool are doing brilliantly. Uh, Chelsea are doing brilliantly. Arsenal are. Uh, and Spurs as well, let's be fair. Um, but they're playing above and beyond themselves. They, what they're doing is exceptional. What City are doing, from what we saw last season, is absolutely half of the course for them and as I said before I think they'll get better I'm still waiting you know you're talking about the, um, the will, he, will he rest players and what have you I'm still waiting for him to play what I think is quite clearly his strongest 11 which I think I'm not sure he's actually played it yet I'm, I'm trying to think you know where you've got Mendy playing at, at left back um, and you've got uh, I'd have I'd have Sterling and Sane in it but I don't think he's played his strongest 11 yet because all, all last season obviously Mendy was was out, wasn't he? Um, it, uh, De Bruyne's in it as well for me. I wonder if maybe the, the derby is the game we're going to finally see that. Well, it'll be, uh, be interesting to see. We've also got the, the Champions League game against Shakhtar. Um, City are, uh, you know, from a, a position of uh, having lost the first game, they, they could qualify on Wednesday night by, uh, by winning and providing that Leon win as well. Uh, they'll be through to the next stage. So, I mean, you can't really ask for, for more than that in terms of a turnaround, can you? Uh, no, not really. And um, you know, I was here for that night against Leon, and you thought, well, this, you know, it, that's a worrying sign. Does it? You think? Oh, well, though, it could be, could yeah, be an interesting were, one. You know, they, they they were well beaten that night. You know, they they, they deserved to get beaten. Um, and Leon could have won by more. And I don't think it was purely down to the fact that Guardiola was in the stand. It certainly shouldn't be purely down to that. I would be a little bit worried if it was. But you thought, oh, this could be interesting because yeah, Shakhtar away is not a nice game. You have to play Leon again. Um, and then you just wonder, well, that might have just been the the kick up the backside they needed because it was shortly before that I think Guardiola was saying about uh, he didn't want the players to be taking it too lightly, you know, to just assuming they could go out there and win. And I've, I've never had that feeling about the City team while he's there, but maybe that was a night when that was the case, when he wasn't there on the touchline, shouting at the guy who's uh, closest to him on the, on the touchline. And, and maybe that it was just a reminder, look, yeah, it's not going to be easy. You can't just, as good as you are, you can't just turn up and win. Richard, obviously the, the victory in Ukraine has really uh, has bolstered City's position. Um, again, like the Southampton one, you can't really look past a City win. Uh, no, I mean, especially with how easily City took them apart. The, the only thing that can affect this is if, if Shakhtar find a way to be more in City's faces and, and more compact and to, and to play deeper. And I mean, I suspect that's what they'll try, but... I don't see why they'd have much success with it because 
they're coming up against a particularly confident City team that are creating chances for fun. I mean, it's not just the amount of goals that they're scoring. The amount of chances City are wasting at the moment. You think if they could take half the chances, then we'd have a 10-0 at some point. So I was campaigning for that on last week's show. Just go, I want to see what they do with the scoreboard. Yeah. It, it just won't fit. So. I mean, it's a, it's a flippant point, but it's true. If, if City could take even half the chances at the moment, games would be won in the first 20 minutes. I mean, it, it's ridiculous the, the way that the tearing teams are part right now. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to see what hope Shakhtar can come with. And it's easy to sound arrogant as a City fan saying that, but it is true. Why would they come here really believing they can get anything after what we've just done to them on their own patch? Um, the only hope that they have is that City turn in a bad performance like they did against Leon, where they get sloppy and give the ball away, and they're primed to take advantage of it. But I don't think that they have players the quality that Leon do. So, yeah, in short, I, again, I, I fully, fully see a City win. Well, let's get some predictions on the board. Another week and another two chances to add some money to the kitty in our charity bets. William Hill's given each member of the panel a £10 correct score single on City's games, with all the winnings going to the Christie, one of the leading hospitals for cancer treatment and research based in Manchester. Southampton and Shakhtar are up. Uh, Richard, what are you having for, uh, for Southampton? Uh, I'm having City to win that one 3 0. 3-0 is 5-1 to one with William Hill, so uh, 50 quid. Uh, James, what are you having? I'm going to go for 2-0, but that could easily be 6. But I'm going to go for 2. 2-0. Uh, we couldn't check the odds fields because we, uh, we obviously me and Richard prepared before and we didn't know you were going to be doing this bit of the show, so uh, we couldn't check on the on the City Wi-Fi, but we will tweet it out. Um, I've gone for 5-0, which is 11-1, so 110 quid if I'm right. Uh, Shakhtar, Richard, what are you having? Uh, I am once again, David, going for City to win 3-0. That's three 3-0s in a row for you. Um, that'd be another 5-1, five, uh, five to one, so 50 quid. Uh, James? Well, the Champions League has been the one competition in recent years where there have been some surprises for City. So the surprise for this one is they're not going to win dead, dead easily. So we're 2-1. 2-1. Uh, again, we can't check the odds, but we'll, uh, we'll tweet it out. I've gone for 2-0, uh, which is 6-1 and 60 quid. So uh, we'll, uh, hopefully one of those will come in. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more about responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. It's time to hear from Howard Hocking. This is a piece about numbers, so I apologise in advance. Now before I start I must make one thing clear, I still take nothing for granted with this city team. I still retain my pessimistic core, which may not surprise you, ingrained in me since 1982, reinforced as David Pleat ran across the main road pitch in his loafers in 83. Strengthened by relegations, cock-ups, bad buys, misshaped stands, failure and false hope. Once it's in you, it's hard to get rid of it, even now. So I still worry that the Champions League group would see City finish third or fourth, that Liverpool will win 30 games on their own and will never hear the end of it, second place seen as total failure, and that of course the oil will run out. But the fact is, we have in a way become rather blasé about City's brilliance over the past year, domestically at least. The European stuff is more of a touchy subject. Yes, we are aware of the brilliance of this team, but have we truly considered what they have achieved? What an outlier the team is in virtually every metric possible. Let the Arsenal, Chelsea United fanboys argue over who the greatest Premier League team is. Let the media discuss it to death. The fact is, the statistics speak for themselves. After Pep's debut season struggles, any league title would have been something to truly celebrate in his second season. But that second season became such a procession that the brilliance of it may have partly washed over us. We now expect brilliance all the time because we normally get precisely that, to the point that I was almost underwhelmed at a 1-0 win at Spurs, even though I was extremely happy at the three points. A Spurs team, by the way, who haven't failed to score at home, wherever that home may be, for over a year. And with the concerns over the problems retaining the title, nothing seems to have changed, and more on why later. Now you've probably seen most of these stats at some point, so apologies for repeating them, but they are worthy of brief discussion. The simplest stat of them all, City's 100 point haul, is actually hard to comprehend when you really think about it. City may have even better sides in the future than the 2017-18 squad, but I would wager none of those sides will get close to 100 points. To look at it another way, over a gruelling 9 month period, City dropped a total of 14 points in the league. 
Of those 14 drop points, two were dropped in a game where a City player received the worst red card decision of my lifetime. Another two were dropped with the League One and the team in party mode. And then there was a complacency against the United side that should have been five down at half-time, just like Burnley should have been two down before they equalised. Only the Liverpool match in the whole season can be seen as a deserved defeat, maybe, due to ten minutes of madness. But I can assure you that if that game had gone another five minutes, City might not only have gained a point, but perhaps all three. It was a season of unimaginable dominance. There were many more spectacular stats from that season, of course. The record-breaking winning run for starters. Most points, 100 of course, beat the previous record of Chelsea's by five. There was the most wins in a single season, the most goals, most away wins, the biggest positive goal difference, the biggest title-winning margin, and even the least time trailing in matches, a mere 153 minutes all season. For the record, City have been behind for 12 minutes of the current season so, so far, after a Wolves player punched a cross into the net. This season, the stats start to look even more ridiculous as Pep's team starved the opposition of the ball. Man City have gone away to Arsenal, Liverpool and Spurs and not only have they not conceded, but they've limited the likes of Aubameyang, Lacazette, Salah, Firmino, Mane and Kane to just one shot on target combined. That's how great City have been defensively in big games this season. One shot against City in the last 191 minutes of league football, only four in the last four games and 17 shots on target against City in 10 games. United, they've allowed 50. 27 goals scored, three conceded in the league. I mean, that's just ridiculous. United's goal difference has recovered this week to hit zero for the record. Just saying. City scored six clean sheets on the bounce in the Premier League. If Edison can survive the opening minute of Sunday's game against Southampton, he will hit 600 minutes without conceding a Premier League goal. And no midfielder or attacker has scored against City in the league this season yet. Just three defenders. Stones and Laporte were born a day apart and now find themselves as the present and the future of City's defence. Pep was pillared for saying last season that he doesn't practice tackles, a comment that was naturally misinterpreted by the dullards that pervade through sections of our football media. But it still astonishes to learn that since his arrival 26 months ago, John Stones has only committed 17 fouls in a City shirt. As for Laporte, he's the only ever-present Premier League footballer this season. After 19 games, he's yet to taste defeat in a City shirt, a run which it may not surprise you is a record. And long may that run continue. He also lies second in total passes this season in the Premier League behind Jorginho, the loser. In attack, the team has been accused of lacking a clinical nature, which makes you wonder just how dominant they could be. But generally they purr along as ever, and it was clear within a few weeks of the season starting that City were going to have the best goal difference again this season. Was it ever really in doubt? City the only team in the Premier League to take over 18 shots per game on average. They in fact take 22.38 on average, or had prior to the Spurs match. There's plenty of useless stats too. The longest winning run, 5, in London by a non-London club. The longest ever unbeaten run for Saturday 3pm games. The one record we were all waiting to break. Sod the Centurions malarkey. There's many more. Last season there were records broken on possession stats, individual passes in a game, collective team passes and more. I've probably forgotten about 100 stats or more, which you're probably glad I have, to be honest. And the stats individually are mightily impressive, but put them all together and you have a relentless machine. And there's an important reason for this. These stats are due to up to 20 players, but inspired by one man. This season's stats are symptomatic of a manager who always strives for improvement, if not perfection. You see, after a 100-point season, you think most managers would relax a tad. Pep, though, never relaxes. You've probably noticed. And whilst he would have been pleased, ecstatic even, with last season's domestic performance, he will want more. He will want no complacency this season, no drop in the intensity, and to continue to work on new systems, new tactical tweaks, to continue to restrict the threats posed by opposition teams. And that's why after 10 games when Liverpool have had their best start to a season, before Monday Spurs had two, that City sits top of the table once more. That's why the team is looking to break more records when there didn't seem any left to break. 
The team may fall away, falter, it may win nothing, but the general feeling is that under the tutelage of a man who says he feels Mancunian now, the future has many more gifts for all City fans. Hi, this is Kevin Hallock, and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hawkins. So now, uh, joining me and Richard for the final part of tonight's show, uh, we're joined by the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Good evening. You all right? How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. A bit cold. A bit chilly. Um, well, let's let's crack on then with, uh, with Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions for, uh, for our panel and they do the best to answer them. Um, start off with Andrew on the emails. He asks, now that City have won and it doesn't look like sour grapes, should Spurs face punishment for that pitch? Richard? Um, I mean, the whole thing around the Spurs game has been an absolute farce. The... We all know that leading up to it, that um, not having the stadium ready, that that delayed uh, City being, you know, that that had a knock-on effect on City's uh, Carabao game having to be played on a Thursday, which meant the Southampton game has to be a Sunday, which meant that the United-Everton game has to be moved to the Saturday and that their fans have had to rearrange all their travel, etc. The whole thing has been a farce and the pitch was just the final straw in it. So there's a lot of things in there that, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what the rule book says, but that I would think there is grounds for punishment and you know a fine or compensating people or whatever the fact is that Spurs produced a pitch and therefore an occasion that wasn't fit for a Premier League game that wasn't fit for paying viewers whether that be the TV audience or the match going audience um, so yeah I mean I, I I think there is grounds for punishment because it was all their own doing it's not like some crazy adverse weather caused that they couldn't put a match together so yeah I'd be I'd be fine with the punishment <laughs> Jack were you there what was it like uh, no I didn't I didn't go but um, I don't think they should be punished for the pitch I think they should be punished for the fact that the stadium's not ready which is obviously different I mean to be fair to them they couldn't do an awful lot about the pitch could they on, on, on the Monday because of the because the NFL games but the fact that they promised a stadium that was never ever going to be ready in time and you could see it from journalists that walk, regularly walk around the ground and have done for the last year or so it's been well self-evident that it was never going to be ready for when they when they said um, and I don't know I'm a little bit surprised that there has been no punishment for that really it's, I mean, it's very easy to say, like, like Andrew said in his email, it's, you know, it's, it would have been easy beforehand to say sour grapes, especially if City had lost. So now that, now that it's out of the way and it's, it's, that's kind of done and dusted. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they made a point of not getting their excuses in early, really, either. Um, I know Laporte, when he got asked in Kharkiv after the Shakhtar game, he said, well, it's, a, it's the same for both teams. And he's quite right, because Tottenham played some wonderful football. Um, and then Pep, oh, Pep said it wasn't, wasn't great. Uh, wasn't going to be great, and he was right. You know, he couldn't really say anything else, could he? Um, but the important thing for them is that they, they got the job done on what was a pretty kind of helter skelter night, really, wasn't it? Dean Robinson's been in touch on the emails as well to ask, "What are City up to with Phil Foden's contract? They're in no rush, but there were rumours he would get a new deal in May. Surely we need to secure his contract, or what's the point of an academy?" Uh, I don't know what he's asking for, but if he's asking for too much money. Then City won't want to. City won't want to pay it. Um, they paid too much for Adarabayo when he signed his contract, purely for as a almost a face-saving exercise. So why would they do that with anyone? Anyone else? They've learned the lessons. Um, but I mean, you talk to people around it, and they they're saying obviously Foden loves the club, wants to stay. Foden's on record as saying that he wants he wants to be here for years and years and years and become. Um, a club legend and people around Dortmund are pretty, I mean Dortmund are the ones that have been heavily linked with him and they're pretty pessimistic about the chances of signing him purely because he's playing in in games like the Carabao Cup games and he's in and around the squad and they're yeah I got the feeling they're fairly pessimistic anyway so You think as well Richard with it, like, there's more time with the Foden deal isn't there because of it's the, the situation surrounding him being a fan and everything yeah, you'd think so, because his ideal situation is surely going to be to stay at City and to, you know, I mean, there's, it's a difficult one because they've got to make sure that as he increases his presence in the first team and around the first team squad, they've got to make sure that he's paid accordingly for that as well. It would take, it would be a bit unfair to drag it out and take the mick by 
you know, I mean, again, I don't know the details of his contract, but I assume he's very much still on something around an academy player's wages. And there's only so long that the sheen of playing for your boyhood club is going to keep him around. But I, I don't really doubt that City will get this one sorted because I think there's this will on both sides, isn't there? So, um, yeah, I think it would be ideal to get it done sooner rather than later. But, it does, again, I don't think it is a, a pressing concern. I think he'll stay. There is, I mean, there's definitely a willingness on both sides to get it done. I'm just, I'm just surprised that the links have come out. To be honest, I'm not really sure what the, what the thoughts behind that are. Why, why people have been told that. Well, who, so, who, where's it come from? Well, we know? no, but um, you could have a fair guess. Anna Griffin's been in touch on the emails to ask, uh, could Delft do the Fernandinho role in some games? Why is Guardiola not giving him a try? Well, obviously, we saw him in the Carabao Cup game. Um, but Delph hasn't had many minutes this season. No, well, I mean, it's it's got to the point where you almost forget that he's a midfielder, and, and I now think of him as a as a left back. And if anything, he'll become an auxiliary, an auxiliary midfielder. Um, I don't think he could do that role as well as Fernandinho because Fernandinho is a fantastic footballer. Uh, he's, he's world class in his role. But yeah, I think Delph could play there. I mean, we saw it in his first season when he was fit. He had a couple of really, really good games there, playing box-to-box. Box. I think it was, I might be wrong, but I want to say a game against Southampton, where he absolutely ran the show. Um, it might not have been Southampton. but I, I honestly there, have no memory whatsoever. So. There, there was, there was and a, when I say that, that's, you know, that's a bad sign. There was a game where he was particularly brilliant, and everybody sort of, all the pundits went to town on saying how good he was after it, and it was the game, I think, that made people realise he did have a future at City and that he hadn't just been bought to shore up the, the numbers in terms of uh, homegrown players. So, yeah, in short, I think he could do a job there, but he's never, he's not going to be the replacement for, Fandi, for Fernandinho. He's not the heir to that throne. Um, but I'd be, I'd be happy to see him given a go there. It's a bit of a shame, really, for him that, I mean, he, he played so well in, in games last season, but Mendy's always going to be the first choice at left back, and then he's, he's not going to be the first choice at midfield either, is he? No, but I think he kind of come to terms with his role at the club when he signed anyway. So, in that sense, not an awful lot's changed. Um, and in, in the cup games, he's going to be important. As, you know, there's an increasing amount of those at the moment. Um, so, I think he's an important kind of, or he's a valuable asset to have, particularly the way he slithers about the, uh, the midfield like the, the snake that he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, follow that one, I suppose. Um, finally, Nye Robinson's been in touch on the emails to ask, uh, how confident should we be about Raheem Sterling signing a new deal? since it's only a verbal agreement so far. Jack, you, uh, you broke the story, uh, or one of those that wrote the story on, uh, on Thursday. Um, what, what's your feel? I mean, it's, it's, it feels as, as good as done now. Yeah, yeah. Um, City, City not confirming it um, at this moment in time, but players, the players really, really happy here. Um, always wanted, well, I got told he always wanted to stay. Um, feel, feels he's, he can win what trophies are you missing in the FA Cup and the Champions League he thinks he can win them both here the money's good can go up to £300,000 a week if certain things are triggered it's a lot of money but rock stars get paid a hell of a lot of money because people want to go and watch him play and people want to go and watch Raheem Sterling play don't they in a similar way to Kevin De Bruyne so um, yeah it's a, it's a brilliant brilliant move for him because it, it was getting to be honest it was getting to the stage where we were starting to ask questions and go well what is actually going to happen here? Because it, it, they were, it was meandering slightly, uh, and they were saying they were in they were in no rush, they weren't panicking. But as he got closer and closer to 18 months left on his contract, you then think, well, his market value is going down. What are they going to have to do in the summer? Um, but yeah, I mean, until it's until he's there with a shirt and cheeky next to him, and he can't really kind of say he's down, <laughs> even though he's verbally agreed it. The daft thing is, I mean, we've, we've done this in the past and we, we always record on Thursday nights and City always seem to announce the contracts on Friday mornings. So by the time everybody hears this, it, it could be out of date. Richard, I mean, assuming he, he does put pen to paper now, which looks incredibly you know, likely, um, it, it's, it's only positive news, isn't it? It's fantastic news, yeah. I was beginning to get a little bit concerned uh, that it wasn't going to get done and that Real Madrid would take him uh, either in the summer or the summer after on a free. Uh, it was a big concern. Raheem Sterling, in his time at City, has only got better year on year, and he's doing it again this season. He is, it is increasingly hard to imagine Pep's team without Sterling because he is that good. 
um, he's a great success story for the club because he came, it's easy to forget that he was a highly rated player but when he came from Liverpool he hadn't finished there in great form um, we all know that for a long time he's been public enemy number one in, in the British tabloids so for, you know, for whatever reason that that is and he has really really rallied against that, he's got his head down and he's listened to his coaches but more than that his own attitude has been fantastic, obviously a, a lot of his improvement is down to good coaching but he's got to have the willingness to enact it and he's developed, his, his development is at a rate that you don't really see from many players uh, he, he gets goals, assists, he can play out wide, he's increasingly good through the centre so increasingly it, good on the left this season as well yeah yeah I mean he's I feel like I've said increasingly good about 100 times already but <laughs> he, he, he just he is improving in, in every single area he's getting stronger on the ball his decision making is better so there's no reason to think that under Pep's uh, mentoring that that isn't going to carry on and so it can only be good news and I think for Sterling it's good news too not just because he gets rewarded for what he's done but I, I fully believe that he's with the best manager for him and I'm not sure uh, he'll have a player-manager relationship like this again in his career, so it's it's just fantastic all around. I watched the um, I watched the Inside City video of his first day when he signed from Liverpool in 2015 the other day, and he looked like watching that back. He looked like a boy, yeah. And he's a he's a man now. I mean, that's a perfect place to finish. Thank you very much, Jack. I'm going to let you get back to your work. So uh, thank you very, very much, much for, you. for for joining us. Um, and if you want a little bit more extra Blue Moon podcast for this week, we're talking about. Uh, the Mark Hughes era on our Patreon special so uh, go and check it out patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast get questions in for Ask the Panel for next week's show at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or you can uh, do it through the website bluemoonpodcast.com and uh, yeah we'll see you next week take care that was the Blue Moon Podcast Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.